Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's weekly podcast. I'm John Howard. I'm the editor of Capital Weekly. And with us today is Doug Osi, businessman, farmer, former congressman, Republican. Uh, and because he's a Republican, we want to ask him a little bit about the how the presidential campaign's going, how Donald Trump's doing, how everybody else in the Republican Party's doing, and any other uh, items you'd like to talk about. So welcome, Doug. Thank you very much for being with us. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. What's your uh, quick take on the past week with Donald Trump, taxes, and a Venezuela, former Venezuelan movie queen? Um, I think both candidates are carving out their respective identities. Uh, fortunately, we have a very clear contrast between somebody who has spent her entire life in Washington and is a animal of Washington, one of the Washington elites, and you have somebody else who is clearly not a polished politician, but I think accurately reflects the frustration that many Americans feel. That's what I think they're both doing, is carving out those personas. How do you see the race going now? Uh, what are we, six weeks out, five weeks out from the election? Who's counting? I have no idea. I mean, it's 38 days, something like that, uh, 39 days. It's it's going to be a dogfight. It's going to come down to 12 states. California's not one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Texas isn't one of them. So we're not going to see the candidates out here other than for, you know, like a helicopter in for a fundraiser and then back to the campaign trail. Uh, we won't even see their surrogates. They're going to focus on Ohio and Colorado and Arizona and North and South Carolina and Virginia and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Florida, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, whoever prevails in those 11 or 12 states, it's going to be the president of the United States. The polls, at least up until this week, and I think still are pretty close, um, depending on the state you're looking at, Hillary may be up by several points. Nationally, Hillary seems to be up by several points. There have been states where it's been closer than that. Do you, do, you, do you see the polls as telling us anything real? I mean, is is this race as close as it seems to be, at least as some of the polls suggest? There are two parts of the polls that I always, even when I was doing polling, mm-hmm. there were two parts of the polls that I was always skeptical about. First is, who's the sample? Are these people who are registered voters, high propensity voters? Are they people whose anger is off the chart? I mean, how do they pick their sample? Okay, that's the first thing. And then the second is, on these national polls, they have to geographically spread their contacts. And in states like California that are overwhelmingly Trump or Texas, excuse me, overwhelmingly Clinton or Texas, which is going to go Trump, or Illinois, which is going to go Clinton, do they skew the polls because they have to have a certain percentage of the respondents from those states? So it just... I don't know how to quantify that, but I'm skeptical of these polls as a result because really the only ones that matter are in the states where it's really close. The swing states, yeah. Yeah. So how are those? Because, I mean, again, California's going to go for Clinton. Texas is going to go for Trump. You know, Alabama's going to go for Trump. Illinois is going to go for Clinton. You know, but where's Iowa going? Where's Colorado going? Where's Virginia going? Where's Ohio going? Where's Pennsylvania going? So it's just, the national polls are just not useful to me. Do you think they were affected uh, 
at all by this, the disclosure, the, the reporting in the New York Times about uh, the losses that Trump claimed in 95, uh, the 900 million and some change. <laughs> so you're a business guy, so. Uh, okay, so if Trump claimed however many millions of dollars of losses in 1995, I have absolutely no doubt that the same IRS that can single out conservative nonprofits for harassment would have had him drawn and quartered if it wasn't legit. So, as far as I can tell, he followed the law. I mean, those of us who are in business, unlike those who are in, you know, part of the Washington elite, we have ups and downs. And if you look over, the key is over the long trend, is that business person is the average Trending up or is it trending down? That's the measure. Uh, what would be this, the, this whole discussion about? It's just it's it's total distraction. But what would be the reason for him then not wanting to disclose his tax return? I don't know. But this whole hullabaloo about what he claimed as losses in '95 total just complete manufactured BS. Well, if he didn't pay taxes for 18 years since 1995. Which is what the law allows. Sure. In fact, fact that's, laws carry forward. There's no, dis, as far as I know, there's no discussion he did anything improper. So what's the point of bringing it up? Because the political issue there is for people who did pay taxes then with obviously infinitely less income than he had, feel resentful about that. Why? They both followed the law. I'll tell you what, if Mrs. Clinton thinks all of us should pay more in taxes than we are now, let her lead by example by paying more than what the law requires her to pay. I don't hear I don't hear her standing up and saying, "Well, the law only required me to pay twenty seven percent, but I paid thirty eight percent." Yeah, I don't hear her saying that. This is a total BS issue. Do you think this would have an impact on the vote on the election? I actually think it serves to reinforce the idea that Trump's somebody who lives in the real world, and Clinton's somebody who lives in the Washington bubble. I mean, it's just it's total. Baloney. I mean, the New York Times lost money last year. Are they going to carry those losses forward? You know, Trump actually mentioned that, and I think he, sure. uh, he yeah. mentioned that Bezos was using the New York Times as a write-off for Amazon because Amazon basically makes money as fast as you can print it. So the New York Times... Uh, well, he does the Post. I'm sorry, the Post. Actually, the Post, not the New York Times, was saying, yeah, the Post lost money so he can use it as a tax exactly. write-off. I've lost so. money in past years. In fact, there have been years where I've made more money than Ford Motor. Hmm. Because Ford Motor has bad years, and I had a good year. Yeah. You know, does that mean Ford Motors supposed to pay taxes when they lose money? This is just such BS. So you don't think it, it's... It's not real world. It's not really incumbent on him to disclose anything. No. This isn't real world. When you have, when you have a loss on your house, mm -hmm. do you report the loss? Sure. So did Trump. Sure. The issue, I think, his problem, I think, is that, and this speaking as a reporter, is that you've got 40 years of people disclosing their taxes who want to be president. This guy doesn't want to. So the question is, why? If he had done it early on, I think this issue would be gone, long since gone. But for some reason, he doesn't. And so he keeps, and so this issue continues, continues. Of course, his opponents, when we're this close to the election day, try to manufacture bring it up. something. Sure. sure. Yeah, they've tried to bring it up. So I will say, it's been interesting. Mr. Trump's response to this question about whether or not he's going to release his tax reform returns has been consistent since day one, that he's under an audit. He'll release them when the audit's over. Mm -hmm. You compare that with Mrs. Clinton's explanation on her emails 
which varies almost from hour to hour, you know. Again, I live in the real world here, you know. I understand liabilities and exposures and what the IRS can and can't do. I know what I'm obligated to do as opposed to what somebody else wants me to do. So Trump's acting in his best interest. He has to have a reason. He's a business guy. I get it. You know, it's just total. I mean, I can't even I can't even use the words to describe what a distraction this is. I get why Clinton wants to talk about it. I get why she her team keeps pushing it at the media. What I can't understand is why the media, who are generally pretty smart, keep falling for it. Do you think we in the media sort of created this guy? Trump? I mean, as far as a national candidate The media, to some extent, always defines the candidates, regardless of what the race is. And local supervisor, the president of the United States, the media coverage always serves to define the the candidates. Now, you actually, you started out as a Jeb Bush supporter. Correct. And so you actually saw that right off the bat, because Jeb Bush got, he spent, what, 100 million, he and his supporters spent $100 million and could not get the traction that... Donald Trump got spending basically nothing. And I think that that was largely due to media coverage. I mean, he was a celebrity, he was a TV star, and Jeb Bush was the president's brother and the former governor of Florida, but not in the same league as far as the coverage. So I want to dwell on something first before I respond to your question. That is, the Bush family has been enormously generous to this country in terms of their public service and their commitment to trying to make things better. You know, Bush Sr., President 41, awesome individual. Bush 43, stuck with a bad set of cards, and he played them as best he can, and he hasn't whined about it. Jeb Bush was a remarkably successful governor of Florida, and yet we come to 2016, and that's not what the voters want. So let's move forward. I mean, I don't think, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It just is what it is. Yeah. You can't sell sand to the Saudis unless they want to buy it. You know? Now, on that, what do you think about the uh, reportage that George H.W. Bush has said that he'll be voting for Hillary Clinton? I'll tell you what, Kathleen Kennedy Townsend will never be told anything <laughs> in yeah. private again. Anything. Yeah. She has just become persona non grata. She violated. Oh, she the one that that told people? She violated one of the fundamental canons that exists between competent and respectful politicians. She's never going to be told anything again in private. Nothing. I think you're right there. Do you think that has an impact on... The fact that she said that, does that have an impact on the election and the results? Kennedys are expected to say keep things like that. (laughs) Okay. I mean, it's just... just, I I was aghast when I saw it. I mean, I just... President Bush turned to, to Lieutenant Governor Kennedy and said something to her privately. And within minutes, she put it up on the Internet. That just, nobody will tell her anything in confidence ever again. And then, and then also, uh, I just saw this weekend out on Twitter, uh, one of, I think, George Bush's daughters was at a Clinton fundraiser. And in photos, Paris? Yeah, and photos got put up. I saw. So, and that's, is there, I have not seen any response from the Trump campaign on that. Is there any? I saw George P. endorsed Donald Trump. Yeah. So, 
They're probably like every other family. They have differences yeah. of opinion. That's true. <laughs> you've run for office and won election. And, and lost. Uh, and lost. Yeah. Um, and you've been in debates. Yes. Um, we're looking now at a debate coming up in a few days uh, with Hillary and Donald again. What What do you want to see happen in that debate? What do you think they should cover? And what do you expect to see happen? I think Mrs. Clinton is going to be on the attack. She is going to get the, or make the effort to have the discussion be about Trump's tax returns or <coughs> all sorts of what I consider to be tertiary issues. Mm -hmm. And Trump's job is to make it about, make the discussion about national security, mm -hmm. the economy, you know, is the border secure? Do you feel safer today than you did before? Uh, and we'll see who prevails. Do you think he has to have a script uh, that he's got to um, heed the advice of some of the pros that he's hired and not fly off the handle? I think Mrs. Clinton... Not do tweets at 3.20 in the morning, that kind of thing. I think Mrs. Clinton has an enormous advantage in these debates. She's been doing this all her life. I mean, she's been doing it all the way back. I mean, think about this. She... Her first job in Washington was on the Sam Irvin Committee that investigated Watergate. Oh, and granted, she got fired from that by the chief uh, Democratic counsel for lying. But she is. I think that's been disputed, actually. Well, not by the guy who fired her. Uh, but she is very polished, very skilled at Washington speak that we've all become accustomed to over the last 40 years. And uh, she has an enormous advantage over Trump, who just wants to get something done. You know, enough talk, let's have something done. And well, if, we'll see how it plays out. What do you think the reason is that the Republican Party seems so divided? I've never seen a candidate that is so divided, the Republican Party, or the Democratic Party on their side. I mean, it's like, uh, I, I made this observation uh, back in, like, October of last year, I said, with 17 candidates on our side and three or four on theirs, we're almost like what we're seeing reflected in our uh, run-up to the primaries is also reflected in what's going on geopolitically around the world, where uh, alliances are fracturing and religions are fracturing and Regions are fracturing, and it's kind of like our political system is fracturing at the same time. And one of the things that uh, I'm most concerned about is how do you put these pieces back together in such a way that the kids that follow yours in my generation have a chance to enjoy the America that we grew up in? And that's a very big challenge. But it's not, our politics reflect the same thing that's going on across the world. I mean, you see it in Great Britain, whether you watch the the uh, Prime Minister's questions mm -hmm. I guess it's every like every Wednesday night. Oh, this I'm is John's on. favorite thing I to watch. Love I love it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's so much fun. Just bam, bam, right back at you. You know. Imagine coming down to the well of the house. I mean, coming down there and facing... The leader of the country. The leader of the country coming right. down and, you know, he's 
the length of this couch away yep. from the leader of the opposition. Across the table. Yeah. And then having to answer, you know, and having to come up with, obviously there's politicking. And, oh, yeah, absolutely. But, but you have to come up with answers on the spur of the moment. On the spot. Yeah, that's totally, it's really an enjoyable. I, I, so, I really am addicted but, to that. But you see, it, you see it in Great Britain. You see it in France with the rise of Marie Le Pen. You see it in Germany with Angela Merkel's coalition starting to fracture. You see it in the Soviet, former Soviet Union where all the countries have started going like this. You see it in India where the different states of the state of the country of India between, you know, Punjab or New Delhi or wherever starting to fight over water or what have you. You see it in the Philippines where they've got thousands of islands that are literally ungovernable. Uh, you see it in China between the urban and the rural and the western areas that are Muslim and the eastern areas that are Buddhist, the coastal areas, was, I mean, it's just like, wow, this is fascinating to me. But how do you, how do you ride this alligator? You know, uh, just leaving Trump in the world politic view for just a second, we're here at Gibson Ranch right now, which is pretty spectacular. And uh, uh, Doug's a farmer, as well as a businessman, as well as manages Gibson Ranch. Right. Uh, what exactly is Gibson Ranch? I know I asked you this before we got on the... So Gibson Ranch is a piece of property the county owns. Uh, it's publicly owned and privately operated park. And inside the park we do quite a few different things. For instance, this past weekend we had four weddings. Uh, we have quinceañeras regularly. We, have, we had a large company annual picnic, about 800 people here. We have labor unions that come out. We have an agricultural operation. We have about 20 acres dedicated to agriculture. We have a horse boarding facility. We have fishing. We have two soccer fields. Uh, of late, we've become kind of like the location of choice for those who operate drones. Because oh. they, they've come out. It is so cool. They'll come out and they put, they gave me one of the, the headsets. Headsets of this kid who f flies professionally. And he was good. And I was, I was, they told me, they sit you down in a chair because they're afraid you'll fall over otherwise because you're going like this. They told me afterward that I was leaning this way and leaning back as the drone would fly through the air. So we do that. We do 5K runs. We have high school cross-country meets out here. Uh, we have a group down here, tent camping, a nonprofit that's here in the community, planting trees. Do a lot of Boy Scout and Girl Scout things. We have rental cabins for people who just want to, have a little bit of country in the middle of the city. Just get away from it for the weekend. You're having too much fun. Clearly, you're having too much fun. I tell you what, it is. Just the guy's a millionaire, and he's supposed to be out there making a lot of dough and working hard and sweating. But so think, the rest of us are lazy. But I think the thing is, you're still doing that. You're still doing <laughs> having all this fun, yet you're still yeah, making it's not fair. So. <laughs> Why is it? I mean, this is fun. I mean, it's it's. Uh, you know, when, when we started Gibson Ranch on a on an income statement basis. <laughs> was probably losing four or $500,000 a year. The county was eating that in losses. Difference between expense and income. Well, we've, over the last five years, right on schedule, we brought it to where last year it had a $22,000 profit. So we had wow. more revenue than we had expense. And this year we're going to go a little bit backwards. We'll probably lose $30,000. You need to do Capital Weekly's books, clearly. Well, clearly. no, it's not about books. It's about revenue. Because our cost is... It's interesting. Our cost structure is about half of what the counties is, just because they've got collective bargaining agreements and what have you that we don't. 
but our revenue side is the difference. I mean, they were taking in like a hundred to one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year in revenue. We're doing over six hundred thousand. Wow. So, and and the reason the reason is, if we don't generate the revenue, our jobs go away. And it's not right or wrong. It just yep. that's our perspective. So, we do it on the backs of five dollars a car. Well, continuing the global tour for the last the last question was uh, you'd mentioned before about Spain. How does Spain play into this now? What What's with Spain? <laughs> well, that was a, your question originates with a statement I made about working on my bucket list and maybe moving to Spain for a year. Spain. ¿Qué pasa con España? Uh, why? <laughs> Spain's a very beautiful country. Uh, the south part of Spain, down around Sevilla, along the Gold Coast, the people are very nice. The climate is very much like California. A lot of Spain is very much like California. Yeah. Uh, I also, I didn't put it in the article, but the, the North Island of New Zealand is very much like probably the Bay Area. It just doesn't have oh. 5 million people in a 25-square-mile area kind of thing. Uh, you know, you, this is a journey. I mean, come on. Life's a journey. You only go through here once. So if you're going to do something, you got to go do it. If you sit around and wait for permission, it ain't ever going to happen. Okay. And, uh, you know, we're going to, we are not on the same path everybody else is. I can tell you that. But we're going to do the stuff that we want to do while we can do it. Right. And that's what Spain's about. Doug, thank you very much. Right. Thank Thanks you. for your time and all your, uh, your help. And, thank uh, you very much. Okay. You bet. And this is John Howard with Capital Weekly. Uh, thanking you very much for joining us this week on our podcast. And we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.